this is where you come to hear tales of loss, redemption, salvation, perspectives, epiphanies, and self-evolution. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the glory in our stories. What up to you guys listeners, welcome to the latest episode of The Glory in Our Stories, where you get to hear individuals share their varied experiences. On this episode, we have MJ Hall. MJ is the mother of a biracial daughter who's attempting to maneuver through life in the world full of biases, bigotry, and systemic oppression. MJ and I talked about life from her eyes as she discussed her personal encounters with the general concept of discrimination. Check it out. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the latest episode of The Glory in Our Stories. Uh, I am your host, Calvin Wayne Pennywell Jr. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with um, a friend of mine, MJ Hall. I uh, met MJ um, alongside with my new family um, in relation to my wife. Um, the cool thing about them that I've learned for myself is that they adopt a lot of people. <laughs> And that just shows how big their hearts are and how unbiased they are. Um, but just speaking to MJ over the last few weeks, I've just realized that despite the fact that each episode only has 40 minutes, it's still not enough space to tell her story. Um, but MJ, I really appreciate you uh, taking your time to um, to be on my podcast. Um, I, I found so I find so much about people like I said in like the last first five minutes of meeting them and you always ask your question how did this person get here because you've created this entire life and you end up throwing bits and pieces of it you're like well how does this connect with the past and how does your past connect with your present um, but um, I think the first question I did want to ask you because we did have the conversation about the concept of family and for you, what does that mean? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, family is uh, really difficult for me um, just because uh, my biological family has been less than accepting and um, their hearts are nowhere near as big as your wife's family. Mm-hmm. And um, I also was actually adopted into another family And uh, by definition, family is, uh, according to Merriam-Webster, you know, two-parent home, Mm -hmm. kids. But it also lists that it can be a difference but equivalent to. And that's what I found in other families um, rather than in my biological family. So to me, it's really just... A group of any number of persons that are willing to accept you for really who you are um, unconditionally and that's the problem that I run to and into a lot with even just friendships is that it's always conditional but um, family should really be unconditional regardless of what you do what you say what you believe where you stand they should still love you and yeah. still be around you and for you you know mm-hmm. and that's just my take on it and so. it's funny you said that because I've learned that, and even today, there's always a catch. Always. When you meet people. And you would assume that it it shouldn't have to be that way. Hmm. And um, getting on the back on the subject of superheroes, um, (laughs) are you familiar with The Boys? Mm Mm-mm. Oh, man. What's that? uh, It was actually, I didn't know about it until last year. It's based off a comic book series. Okay. About these people who are out specifically to shame if not expose these superheroes basically imagining superheroes just being complete jerks that's dope and like there's this one guy i I forgot his name but he's like the equivalent to superman okay and he is like the the nastiest of nasty like it's he is a great a a hole and um he ended up doing something to one of the main character's wife and this which is why he has this vendetta on him 
But the woman that plays um, alongside that other superhero, she's like the equivalent, the Wonder Woman. Okay. And there was this girl, I think, called Light Bright or something. And <laughs> she's, she's like the rookie. And this uh, woman that's similar to Wonder Woman tells her, you say, you want to know what our, our weakness is? It's like, what's that? And it's, it's people. They say everybody is a, uh, has like a, a, a kryptonite or something else. But with us, it's just people. Just that's people. our weakness and it's just sad that it had to come to that yeah definitely definitely i i'd say people are a weakness for all people <laughs> <laughs> depending on the person you know um we always it's a trend now to talk about somebody's toxic traits yeah so uh we've we've learned a lot of big words in the last couple of months with uh you know manipulation and toxicity and things that people weren't talking about before yeah so i definitely see i gotta check out this storyline <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty cool because i i didn't think i would be into it um but it's um it's very it's very graphic okay uh very graphic i wasn't expecting that but if you look at the the actual comic book mm. um the show is pg-13 compared to what's in there oh they've so, got a show out too yeah okay yeah it's it's pretty dope um but in, re- in reference to family now there's a lot of people a lot of us can't fathom going through what you went through mm, like yeah. man just growing up I can't imagine having to experience that like with my sisters and my mom because those are those are the pillars of my life yeah um but when you actually encounter someone who had a completely different experience and you have your own bias towards that and it's valid yeah and even now you have every excuse to be angry but it mm. seems like you choose not to be uh, I, I won't say that I choose not to be angry, but I definitely um, put a cap on it. Yeah. There's there's certain things I just won't do. Uh, there's there's a line that I drew that I just won't cross. I try really hard not to be angry. Um, like for Father's Day, I went over there and I sat with my dad for a second. And of course, it's not a it's not a happy moment. It's definitely a tense moment. Yeah. But um, like I said, there's just a line that I I drew that I won't cross. Uh, I'm sure you've heard it before where people or the the prime example is the father with two sons and the father is a drunk. And one son becomes a drunk because he watched his father and the other son becomes anything but a drunk because he watched his father. Hmm. So you have the two sides of those coin of that coin. And um, I definitely just want to be nothing like them. Yeah. So I, I watched my mom and my dad growing up and um, through everything, even as a young adult, I, I moved to Florida for six years. I got as far away as I possibly could. I, I tried lots of things to just not be angry, and mm-hmm. that doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say that being angry helps, but just trying not to, just trying to sweep it under the rug definitely doesn't. But um, after watching them and seeing how they are and the things that they refuse to address and the things that um, they just pretend aren't there, I just don't want to be like that. Um, but I'm also equivalently blessed. Um, the family that adopted me is amazing. Um, I met my sister when I was 11. Mm-hmm. She actually was my best friend. And um, we rode the same bus. That's how I met her. Her mom's military. She has a younger sister. And um, we we clicked and she started bringing me home with her and because she's in the same neighborhood well kind of in the same very close anyway um my parents house is in the country on the outside of the neighborhood Mm -hmm. but um i was there every day all the time and her mom naturally noticed like this kid doesn't want to go home her parents haven't called me nobody is asking where she's at um so eventually i just stayed and uh i stayed until uh my adoptive mom deployed and then i went back and that was it um it's 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 really interesting um it's extreme circumstances that are difficult to find difficult to understand difficult to relate to but um i'm so blessed and i have a relationship with them now even like that's that's my family that's my mom those are my sisters yo thanks for listening so far keep tuning in as we take a quick break and be right back
Hey, T. Goss listeners, yo, I'm all for supporting local artists. So whether you have Apple Music or Spotify, look up the latest EP from A.E. The Cool. That's capital A, capital E, The Cool, titled Dora's Soul. Yo, I'm telling you, it is a much needed project, especially in the midst of the climate we're living in today. Got some awesome local features as well so check it out dora's soul by ae the cool and now back to the episode and my mom's amazing she has uh since the last year she adopted another baby (laughs) (laughs) so i now have a baby sister who uh will be two this year so um my youngest sister she just turned 20 and um she's trying to get everything straight she just got her associate's degree um so when she went off to college mom was nesting Mm-hmm. So, she went and adopted a baby. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, she she's an amazing woman. Um, she's retired military. She's in the army. Uh, she still works on base. So, mm-hmm. um, she has done everything that she possibly could for me, for my daughter, for both my sisters. Now for a new baby, and her heart is just accepting, welcoming a lot like um, a lot like your wife's family. Mm-hmm. Um, just on a much smaller level. <laughs> you know, the family that you married into is huge. Yeah. They are. But um, they, they too, have been extremely accepting, welcoming, loving of me um, from the first moment I met them. I actually met um, a niece much younger. I met a niece around the same time that I met my sister, actually. Mm. And um, a niece and I were on the same step team in school. She taught me a lot of different things. We shared classes. We ran in the same circle um and I had been to their house a few times as a child but we just didn't have the same relationship that me and Andrea do now and it's crazy that like school actually put us together so Mm -hmm. I met Andrea again for the second time in college in Augusta which is nuts because we've all moved away since then yeah so like she went to Germany she lived in Florida the same time I did and we were both miserable because we didn't have any friends but neither of us knew that the other one was in Florida we lived in the same city wow yeah and we lived in the same city at the same time like I said I moved to Florida for six years and um Andrea had an awful experience in Florida never wants to go back to uh, the panhandle but um we talk about it all the time it's like man we over the last two years me and Andrea have gotten really close it's like you were right up the street the whole time. I knew you when I was a kid. Yeah. And um, it, it's crazy you know, the way that God works and the way that the universe works to, to benefit and to create the way that it does. Is I definitely would not be who I am if it hadn't been for um, not being accepted first and then experience acceptance. Yeah. Um, as it's a difficult concept to grasp. Because most people would take that anger and just run with it. Mm-hmm. And I definitely went through a time period where I did take that anger and run with it and made some terrible decisions. But um, once you really feel and know true acceptance, it changes the way that you view it. And you become extremely humble and just the gratitude is unbelievable. Like I can't put into words how it makes me feel. Um, it's super emotional is a super emotional thing um and i tell my mom all the time i'm like thanks (laughs) just for loving me like you shouldn't have to say things like that but because of everything i've experienced i definitely feel that way i tell mona all the time thanks like thank you for loving me because you do uh (laughs) (laughs) and it's crazy it actually goes even further than their immediate family andrea and i have taken a couple of trips to charleston now to be with um to be with John's mom mm-hmm. and uh, she was taken back by a letter that I wrote her I wrote her a letter on the day that we left Charleston the um, first time and I just put it on the refrigerator and it basically said you know thank you for having me in your home you didn't have to do that and you showed me nothing but love and respect and you've been kind and fed me and gave me a bed to sleep in and you don't know me from Tom Bill Jim Joe Yeah. and um, she was just so taken back by that because that's who she is like she feels that anybody should be accepting of everybody and um she can't she couldn't wrap her mind around like the fact that i actually wrote her a letter to thank her for just being accepting and that's um that's really difficult especially coming from an elder Mm -hmm. because most elders are not accepting like that (laughs) (laughs) but she um her heart is just so pure she couldn't she she couldn't understand 
why that was so important to me. Mm. And she was just really touched that I, I wrote a letter. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, really? Like, that's, that's the best part of your day? Thanks. <laughs> like, uh, and it, it's a lot. It's definitely, um, there's a lot of details to it, of course. And, you know, everybody has their reason and their justification for the things that they do. Um, like I said, my biological family refuses to address any of it. If you ask my parents, I had a great childhood. It was wonderful. Um, everything that they did, they did to my benefit, whatever. I've got two brothers, neither of whom are successful in any way. <laughs> so, um, you know, the proof is in the pudding as far as I'm concerned. And I know my truth, and I just choose to live by that and try not to uh, be anybody's judge or jury, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I just do the best I can to be accepting of them so it's hard it's a journey mm -hmm. but um i think i would find more healing if they did address it or if they even said you know we did this because yeah it, it, i can't even get that far with it so <laughs> um like i said the people who were there my sisters um my adoptive family they know the truth i know the truth We've all experienced it. We all lived it. So um, someone who sees it a different way, remembers it a different way, uh, I do my best not to let it bother me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard, but it's, it, at this point, I'm an adult. I'm raising my own child. Mm. So uh, I've learned from their mistakes. So It's funny. I've heard people say all the time, and I've had to learn how most of us will go our entire lives with a specific narrative. And we repeat it to the point that it becomes our truth. Yeah. Uh, but to uh, to the person on the outside, it's like, that's not how it happened. And um, I remember watching, and I mentioned this before, I went, remember watching a movie and his father said to his son, you know, no matter how good your intentions are, um, you are villain. You are a villain in somebody else's story. Oh, yeah. And I Definitely. was like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. um, but going back to one thing you said the concept of creating boundaries. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about that until the last year. Yeah. Especially when I started developing my own family. Mm -hmm. Because when you have your own, you have to protect them. You have to create these barriers and say, you can do whatever you want over here, but just you can't mess with mine. Yep. And so how, how is your daughter uh, dealing with all of this as she grows up? Mm. Uh, it's been... It's been crazy. It really has. Um, my daughter's biracial. She's nine years old. Her dad was in her life until she was six. Um, he moved back to Florida. We live in a, here in Augusta. Um, he moved back to Florida when she was six just for his own whatever he wanted. That's what he wanted to do. So he went back to Florida. He felt like there was more opportunity there, whatever it was. But he's not been back since then. Mm -hmm. So um, for Halo... Having a dad that is her dad her whole life from birth until you're six, like it's not like losing a dad when you're three or when you're a baby. She remembers him. She knows who he is. And um, that part is really difficult for her. And she copes. She does. Um, when he first left, she had a lot of behavioral problems and things like that. But um, over the last couple of years, we've worked very vigorously to <laughs> to come from a place of understanding and seeking to understand how she feels and what makes her feel that way and um just pushing her to um uh understand that he did what he felt was right for her and for him at the time because the relationship that we had was not healthy for her environment i realized that as a child you can't see every detail that creates the big picture you can only see the big picture but you can't see um the the conglomerate of um of different aspects so um yeah when it comes to your parents and when it comes to that relationship especially when the parents are married when they split you know it's, it's typical for a child to possibly blame themselves and the responsibility of one of the parents to inform them of the truth, I can only imagine how painstaking that can be. So, yeah.
I, I totally understand. Uh, continue to listen. This is the latest episode of The Glory in Our Stories uh, with Miss MJ Hall. So um, trying to help her understand that and um, just telling her, you know, your dad loves you and all that. But I draw the boundaries at um, my family now. And I didn't used to, and that was a problem that I definitely did not understand in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked to the point that it was 60, 70, 80 hours a week in a restaurant. And I was running, running. And um, I wasn't home. So her dad had her, or my family had her, or a babysitter had her. And I missed a lot of Halo's younger years because I was working. And I was hyper-focused on providing for my family because I felt like that was the right thing to do. And um, living in Florida is super expensive. You're paying the bridge toll. Your um, you know, rent is really high out there. It's a tourist community. Um, like I said, I was hyper-focused on just making the money, making the money. I have to go to work. I have to go to work. Uh, Halo's not going to eat if I don't mm-hmm. go to work. So I was young, and that was definitely a mistake that I made. And because of that, she spent a lot of time with my family. And a problem that my ex had with all of that was that my family refused to accept me, refused to accept him. I mean, at least I had a chance. He didn't even get a <laughs> chance. Um they met me. They knew who I was. He never got a foot in the door. So he had a real issue with our daughter spending so much time with them. Like, how can you be around my child and not be around me? This is part of me. This is who I am. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, I did not grasp that concept as a younger woman. And I definitely didn't grasp that concept monetarily because in my mind, this is a free babysitter. Yeah. So um, Halo would actually spend summers at my parents' house. So these people who don't accept me and don't accept my partner want to be major influencers in my child's life. And now I see that as a, a huge problem. That's not okay. And my ex, of course, saw it immediately, mm-hmm. and that caused fights between us. So um, the boundary that I draw now is definitely the time that they spend together. And I don't, I don't limit it outrightly. Um, my daughter has her own phone. They can reach her if they want to. They choose not to. Isn't that crazy? Wow. So, like, if I had outwardly said, you can't see her, it would be my fault. But I haven't done that. Um, they choose not to call her. They don't call her and say, hey, do you want to come spend some time with Grandma and Pop? Or, you know, do you want to come over and watch a movie or have dinner or any number of other things? My parents have a pool. They don't call my daughter and say, hey, do you want to come swim or bring a friend and come swim? They don't do any of that. Mm -hmm. So you can't say that I've purposely or outwardly limited your time with the child that you claim to love um, because I haven't. You have a way to contact her. You have a way to contact me. I don't have them blocked or anything like that. But they choose to limit that relationship. So even though I feel as though um, their place in her life is just to love her and nothing more, nothing less, um, they choose not to show that. And so that that's really on them. That should be on their conscience. But as a younger woman, that boundary was not there. And uh, like I said, they were major influencers in her life. And a lot of self-discovery for Halo has happened just in the last couple of weeks in light of recent events. Mm-hmm. Like I said, my child is biracial. Up until maybe two weeks ago, Halo had no idea that she was black. Like, not a clue. Wow. Had no idea. I had to ask her, I said, do you know that you're black? No. What do you mean? Um, <laughs> my family has always um, highlighted the white side of her. Mm-hmm. They call her Caramel. Um, and Halo liked that because her skin is caramel tone, so she would run with it. I'm caramel. And um, she doesn't like the term light skin. She doesn't like when anyone calls her light skin, not because she knows what it means. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like I said, up until maybe just two weeks ago, Halo had no idea that she's black. She understood that her dad's black, mm-hmm. but she didn't understand that he, she is part of him. Yeah. So it's definitely... Um, it's a wild ride and it's an even wilder ride trying to be a single mom and raise a biracial child in today's times. I had to 
step back and realize like how whitewashed her life has really been mm-hmm. as in Florida in the community that we lived in you would do good to find one black friend like it's <laughs> just they just aren't out there yeah. it, it just doesn't exist um I, like I said I lived there for six years and I think I found one black family that I really clicked with cared for know very well now and they're a lot like Addie's family Mm -hmm. and uh it's just a major coincidence they have eight kids and their kids have kids and (laughs) so um like I said they're just a huge family loving and accepting out there and that's kind of like my Florida family but um as far as like the boundary itself I've had to over the last over the last I'd say two years but especially in the last two months um that boundary has been thickened and mm-hmm. heightened um, more so to a sense of if you can't love all of her, you don't get to love any of her. Mm. And that's just the way that I feel about it. It's very, um, there's no gray area to stand in. Yeah. So, and I feel that way for anyone. Uh, I feel that way for myself, for you, for the next person. If you can't love all of that person, you shouldn't be around them at all. You don't You don't get to love any of them. And that's just the way I feel about it. Um, I stand pretty strong on that as well. There's a, uh, a complexity with what uh, Halo has to deal with, especially now and in the future. Mm-hmm. And once you come, you accept that awareness depending on where you are it's like now i have to choose a side yeah. and that um i didn't realize that until i started speaking to my friends and even adrian mm-hmm. to like we and maybe it's regional i'm not sure but i've, I've been here my whole life yeah. and i realized that down here it's always black and white always and yeah. either you with this side or, or or that or you can be this and be born this way but because you don't act according to your culture you won't be accepted by yes, your culture that's true so i can only imagine what she's going through now and being involved in the racial atmosphere mm-hmm. i can't believe we're saying racial atmosphere in 2020 that still boggles my mind yeah like this is still an issue mm-hmm. this is still a problem it's a big problem it's not even a small problem it's not just in small communities or or you know um this specific area is known for that. It is a huge problem. I wish it was just regional, but we've got news stories coming out of everywhere from New York to Southern Florida to, you know, the west side of California. Like, (laughs) we've got these videos surfacing. And my biggest problem here lately is um, how many weren't videoed and how many have gone just completely not talked about and untouched you know yeah and uh that's that's really the hard part that i'm dealing with right now um i've been super active in the community since the black lives matter movement started and um it actually started several years ago and of course died down afterward and that's a problem that we've highlighted now and realizes not going to happen again yeah but um in light of course of recent events and recent deaths Man, um, the activism is serious, and it's heavy. <laughs> it's a lot. It's draining. It is. But um, the world has been super active lately, and it just it's really eye-opening. And just to think about everything that has happened that, you know, we weren't active on. Yeah. The lives that were lost that we weren't talking about. And um, the suffrage from those families, that kills me. It, it I go I can't sleep at night. <laughs> it, it's horrible, um, and I, I can't imagine, you know, getting that phone call and it's one of my sisters or my mom or a friend of mine or even my ex husband. I would be devastated um, if if I got that call and my ex had been one of those people in the news mm-hmm. um, for any reason. Uh, people are saying, you know, this person should have complied. That person did this or that. Or this person was on drugs. That person was a bad citizen. Um, everybody makes mistakes. That doesn't give anyone the right to be anyone else's executioner. And uh, that's that's the hard part that I'm dealing with. Yo, T-Goss listeners, I thought I'd mention this just really quickly. Um, I know a lot of us are highly upset and deeply emotional about the social climate that's taking place. Not just here in America, but 
over the entire world so much has happened so many lives have been lost so many names have probably been forgotten because they're just coming in so quickly if you ask yourself or if you have been asking yourself what can i do um one thing that we can do is constantly put ourselves in a position that where we're listening to people um, remove ourselves look at it more objectively and figure out how can i add to the solution opposed to feeding the problem so continue to listen in and i hope you're enjoying the episode so far um yeah that's it so anyway back to the episode the beautiful thing about you all when you all went out protesting mm-hmm. was that you all were heard oh yeah <laughs> it reminds me of the wall of jericho because ah! man because that was just so dope because to a lot of people y'all were making noise oh yeah but governor kemp signed the the, uh the hate crime bill today and i was like trust me everything you all have been doing did not go in vain because if you would have not done that you wouldn't have had all these people there behind him backing Mm -hmm. him up with masks and speaking yo this is about time this has been done in georgia Mm -hmm. um so for people who are listening um don't underestimate uh the power of the people Oof. and um that was that was, I, I can only imagine what the people that came before us how proud they will be to see that this has been documented mm-hmm. you know y'all made you all's way uh through legislation and i'm like yo this is there's making real movement but the fight isn't done Not there's still so much you all have to do so and as far as your life in general at what point did you feel that you became highly aware of what was going on oh honestly um just the last couple of months really um i like obviously i knew there was racial tensions i knew there was still racism very alive and well um but i in the past i have been part of the silent crowd Uh, Mm -hmm. i had fear of losing family members fear of not being accepted um just fear period and up until recently I didn't realize how much damage the silence actually does. If you don't say anything and you don't make some kind of move to educate or to explain or to hold the hand of someone still living in ignorance or still living in silence, um, then you're definitely part of the problem. And that is part of what's so painful for me with my family not acknowledging the way that they are so I'll just tell you, uh, my family is not blatantly racist. Mm-hmm. They don't go out screaming white lives matter or anything like that. But they are closet racist. Um, and what I mean by that is that they are racist from the comfort of their home on a level that they feel comfortable with. So yeah. they were not okay with interracial dating. And that wasn't a problem for either of my older brothers. But me personally... Um, I interracially date. Uh, I've dated Asians. I've dated white. I've dated black. And um, if it wasn't white, it was an issue in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be nice about it. Yeah. Um, and like I said, my family refuses to address any of that. And of course, having a child, um, I was 19. Mm-hmm. Having a child by a black man was like the ultimate no-no. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family was not present at the birth of my child. And... Uh, that was extremely painful for me. My father was not present at my high school graduation because my daughter and her father were there, and that was extremely painful for me. Even though I was already in a different household, um, I still hold them to this standard of, this is, I'm a part of you. Just like my daughter's a part of me, just like my daughter's a part of her father. There's nothing that would stop me from being there in a moment so important to a person that you only get to experience one time. You don't Mm -hmm. get to graduate high school twice. That's a big thing. You walk across the stage, you expect somebody to be in the audience clapping for you. And that was really painful for me that they weren't there. They, I put myself through modeling school when I was 17. Um, Again, my dad was not there. Now at that point, I didn't have a daughter and I wasn't in an interracial relationship. So what was your excuse other than you just didn't want to be there? Yeah. You didn't accept me. You didn't love me. 
And that's a really hard pill for me to swallow. And I think that's a really hard pill for him to swallow as well. Um, I think that my family knows and sees that things are wrong. And um, like I said, they're just part of that silent crowd that is not not cool. And the way that I've been silent in the past was in my relationship with my ex and involving my child. Um, I allowed a lot of things to go that should not have been allowed to go, such as letting her stay with them over summers, knowing that they can't possibly accept her. They don't accept me. Yeah. So, um, like I said, there was a thing. There's a lot of things that my eyes were just not open to that me and my ex argued over regularly that I couldn't understand. I didn't grasp, and he didn't take the time to try to educate me on it. He was angry. So. Um, Everybody reacts different. Everybody processes differently. And had he processed differently, I may have been able to understand sooner. But like I said, he was mad. And rightfully so. I I can't imagine um, being in in that predicament to be, you know, a black father to a child and to be present and, you know, live in the same home and Mm -hmm. to be helpful and be taking care of the child and to still not even get a chance. Like, there's dads out here who don't do anything at all and they get a chance he didn't (laughs) even get a chance so um uh it was it's definitely difficult it's it's a it's a hard hard thing to deal with it is um and like i said it it was only just the last couple of months when i realized how much damage silence really does um and my own personal silence has been detrimental to my mental health in all of this and uh, I talk about it with my friends regularly I talk about it with my sister regularly Um, we have these conversations these zoom chats FaceTime this has become pretty much our daily lives like this is what we talk about when we get together we talk about what we're doing and what we want to how we want to change things and where we want this to go and what our end result is and how the message gets muddled and you know mental health is a huge aspect of it that a lot of people aren't talking about Mm -hmm. and there's a there's a whole lot that a lot of people aren't talking about and there's a whole lot that goes um severely incorrect Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense there's a lot of misunderstandings and um misappropriations that muddle the actual message behind the movement and that's part of the biggest problem that we have so like it's amazing that we've reached legislation it's amazing that we have um you know record turnout more than 2008 you know democratic voters and it's really cool that we've got all this stuff happening but none of it is really what we're asking for yeah we're asking for reform in police and law enforcement we're asking for reform and legislature, legislature, and um, none of that is really what we're getting. We're getting, you know, big name companies doing uh, solidarity movements and uh, protesting virtually and things like that. But we're not really getting what we ask for, and that's part of muddling the message as well. Yeah. So it's uh, it's exhausting. And those are the conversations that we have amongst ourselves. And those are the things that we want that we're not getting. It's it's funny because I was watching a um, a, this series called The Grapevine on YouTube. And it's basically a a table full of um, African-American black, well, African-Americans speaking on certain issues. Mm -hmm. And recently they were talking about the uh, LGBTQIA plus um, (laughs) community. (laughs) Some stuff I'm familiar with. And and having that in the black community and the complexity Mm -hmm. of that. And then somebody at the end of the table said, yo, I want people to understand that all this other stuff, that's not what we're here for. Not at all. We want equality yes and then they it it trickled from that and i was like yo that was so heavy because we everyone gets so caught up in uh the media and what is it's it's making us assume that the person wants like no we want something heavier than that something that's been rooted for a long time and going back to that was i was thinking about uh back when i worked at a a different place uh, i remember this guy would continuously come to me now he was on the verge of um, starting a, an awesome relationship, 
But he would give me, tell me encounters that he would have mm-hmm. with other women. Mm-hmm. And as a guy, I'm like, oh, wow. And I just egged him on. I say, well, I hope you, in hindsight, I'm like, my silence, my compliance with what he was saying, it's just as, um, I was, it was like I was giving him permission mm-hmm. to do that. Yep. And I was like, bro, that wasn't cool. Yeah. That wasn't cool at all. So yeah. even and this was around this was before we started hearing about the Me Too movement and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. But what he was doing as a man, I was uh, I was condoning it. And I was like, that's not that's not right. So I started mm-hmm. seeing the the, uh, the the defects I had within myself. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I watched today was years ago. When Arnold Schwarzenegger was exposed for sleeping with his maid and then her having a son, him coming out and actually just answering questions so calmly. Mm -hmm. All the comments said, yo, I got mad respect for him for just being honest. Just being, yep, just telling the truth. And I've had a lot of flack, so um, I don't know how long or how far back you follow my Facebook posts, but I have several posts that are um, what people are hashtagging white guilt, which I completely disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not calling it white guilt. It's just my truth. And the truth is that I've severely wronged the black community in the past with my silence. And so um, in order to realign and to move forward and to work in activism, I had to, for my own sanity and my own sake, say, this is what I've done. This was wrong. I'm so sorry to the people that it affected. And this is what I'm doing to change. And a lot of people have had a lot of problems with that, calling it white guilt, saying that I'm apologizing for being white. That's not what it is. I am what I am. I'm born this way. Um, I have a lot of people who <laughs> disagree with me being white, but that the, the truth of the matter is my skin is white. And um, I, I, I am not sorry that I'm white. I am sorry for the things that I allowed because I am white, because they didn't affect me, because I had privilege that I didn't recognize. Mm -hmm. And so um, trying to make those lines very clear to someone who has their mind made up, that's really hard. Uh, (laughs) We make all these analogies and and put together these different examples um, justifying why we do the things that we do so that other people can understand where you're coming from, it's it's hard and it's a long process. It's not going to happen overnight, and I don't think anybody who's doing it the right way thinks that it will. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do see that you know you've reached legislature, or um, I know I'm saying that wrong, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, uh, an experience that I had, I spent all day long, um, a day that I was actually um, with Andrea's family. And um, uh, their grandma was in from out of town, and their auntie was in from out of town, and I had spent that entire day with them, but I had also spent that entire day on the phone, and I was in in uh, keyboard warrior mode, <laughs> just trying desperately to help somebody understand, to educate them with all these analogies and the back and forth, and I spent hours on hours on hours that day that I should have been focused on that family time. Um, going back and forth with them uh, to to help them understand. And it was like, I don't know, it had to be 9, 30, 10 o'clock that night. And I, like I said, I had spent the whole day with the family that day. And I set the phone down on the coffee table and I took a deep breath and I was smiling. Andrea said, what's going on? I said, I touched somebody. I reached somebody. Somebody has seen my point of view and understands where I'm coming from and I can't express how major that was for me that one encounter that I worked all day on (laughs) and all day is a very very small minute piece of you know 400 years of oppression but I was tired (laughs) and I had spent all day wasted my whole day doing that when I could have been enjoying the time with this family um it was so worth it. It was so worth it. And um, I keep contact almost daily with that person now um, just because my fear is that maybe they only see part of it or maybe they don't completely understand or maybe I need to do more work or maybe I need to spend more hours um, explaining things and making analogies um, just so that 
they really truly understand just so that you can really truly change a heart or change a mind or even just plant a seed um but that moment when I took that breath I was like it was like coming for coming up for air is Mm -hmm. what it was like and um I was completely empty in that moment I had no weight on my shoulders I had nothing on my heart I was just gonna relax and enjoy the rest of the evening with the family because I felt like my job was done. Like my, mm-hmm. I had, I had done my part in that moment, <laughs> and it was, it was big for me. It was um, because so many times you go back and forth with uh, somebody who disagrees, and they're, they're so stern and believing what they believe in with no evidence to support it, or only evidence. That's that's the worst part. Yeah, it's, oh my goodness. You yeah. feel like you've just wasted everything you have, and it takes so much out of you. Because you feel like you've gotten nowhere. So when you see, you know, that you've reached higher ups and you've got governors and mayors and city officials and um, people who are in the commissioner's office and law enforcement uh, agreeing with you or even even willing to just listen. Mm -hmm. If you're just willing to just sit down and have an intelligent conversation, that's progress. Because a lot of people aren't. And that's really difficult. Uh, that that's it's painful. It's almost like a slap in the face. Like you've seen the pain that this community has suffered for so long, and you're not even willing to just sit down and talk about it. That's it, it's so painful. It's it's hurtful. It is, man. <laughs> it's heavy. But knowing that you reach that one person, that one person means just as much as reaching that official, as reaching that mayor, that governor, um, all the way up into higher offices, that senator. Um, I have a one-on-one basis with Soretta Smith, who is uh, running for Senate. So um, just reaching that one person that isn't in office means just as much. Yeah. Because the problem that a lot of people aren't realizing is you have a whole lot of closet racism. You have a whole lot of backyard racism. There's a whole lot of racism that people don't see or hear because it's not in the media. It's mm-hmm. it's next door. Uh, I say next door because I have personal experience with that. <laughs> um, it's crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll just tell you real quick. Uh, my daughter's nine. At mm-hmm. the time, she was eight. Um, my daughter loves to play outside. She's an outside kid. These kids, they love tablets and phones and electronics and stuff. And my daughter loves that too. Mm-hmm. But she loves to play outside. We've got a trampoline. She rolls down the hills in the grass. And <laughs> she wants to ride bikes and scooters and be outside. She wants to go to the park. She likes to play basketball even though she's awful at it. <laughs> so she she's an outside kid. Um, she chases fireflies and stuff. It's, it's classic. Um, but... My neighbor was a white family, a two-parent home. They have children. Um, they have a daughter who's a little older than Halo. Uh, I say their daughter is 10. I'm going to go with that. That's good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little older than Halo. And these girls have played together since I moved into where I live. And I've lived there for three years now, so it would have been two years last year. Um, they've played together. They go to the same school. They ride the same bus. They see each other all the time. Halo would call her her best friend. And they always played outside. And I never noticed anything weird about that. I thought that was normal. My kid likes to be outside. And she's a natural leader, even though she doesn't know it. So if she wants to play outside, she's going to find a way to get you outside to play with her. So I thought, you know, there's nothing about it. So these kids, they play outside every day after school or on the weekend when we're home because we're not home a whole lot. But um, one day, Halo comes in the house and she's just ugly crying. I mean, like, hysterical panic attack crying. Mm-hmm. And I, I was on the couch, and I said, whoa, hold on, what's going on? She didn't want to talk about it. So I said, come on, sit down, breathe, wash your face, take a few minutes, collect yourself, collect your thoughts. We're going to talk about this. So she did all that, and she sat down, and she's still huffing and puffing, trying to, like, control herself and calm down because she was hyperventilating pretty bad. And um, she finally got to a point where she could talk. And I said, Halo, what's wrong? She said, I'm not allowed in their house. And I said, okay, um, why? I don't know. I'm never allowed in their house. And I said, 
if you're never allowed in the house, why are you crying? Well, she had someone else come over and they're allowed in the house. Oh, wow. Okay. So at this point, I'm like fuming. I'm angry. My child is hurt. And my mind immediately went to racism. And I asked Halo, I said, what color are they? She said, what? She didn't know what I was talking about. So I go outside and I'm looking out in the yard. And the child that was allowed in the house was a white girl, which is, you know, that's that family's preference, whatever. I go back in my house and I'm talking to Halo. And she's sitting on the floor. She done got off the couch. She's sitting on the floor. And I'm telling her, I said, Halo, you've never been allowed in their house? No. Well, why didn't you ever tell me? I don't know. I'm used to it. That's what she said. And that was like my aha moment. She said, I'm used to it. So my eight-year-old at the time is sitting Indian style on the floor in pieces telling me that she's used to being mistreated. As a child, uh, I I had to pray. (laughs) I had to pray. Um, I called my mom. And I called a few friends because my initial reaction was to go bang on their door and uh, cause somebody some physical harm. But I had to pray. So I prayed on it that night. And uh, me and Halo had a few discussions about it after that. I prayed on it that night. And the next day, I went next door to knock on the door. And um, they weren't home. So I didn't get to talk to anyone about it. And I've since then left the issue alone. And my daughter doesn't play there anymore. But I am 99% certain that had I knocked on the door and someone been home, that I would not have gotten any kind of justification that makes any sense other than racism. Yeah. Like, what other reason do you have for not letting a child that's been playing with your child for two years, upwards of two years, into your home? And I didn't realize it at the time. But I realized in hindsight, their daughter had never asked to come to our house. She never knocked on the door to say, Halo, can you come play? Or can I come play with Halo? Or can I come in? Or, you know, I'm thirsty. Can I have a juice or anything like that? Their daughter had never been over to our house. And the only reason I can think of is that she wasn't allowed to. I can't imagine anything else because I never told her she couldn't. I know that Halo never told her she couldn't. Um, So it it was a very painful, very difficult experience for me. And when you talk about racism in 2020, um, most of what we're seeing is people behind computer screens, Mm -hmm. people who are, you know, willing to fight you through text or whatever, but they won't say anything to your face. Um, And closet backyard racism neighborhood racism, um, stuff like that, where it's on the child, so a child doesn't understand, or, um, you know, never in an adult's face, never in someone who can fight back's face, and I've noticed that, and um, that's something that really concerns me, and that's why I was telling you, reaching that one person is so important, whether they're an important person or not. Yeah. because that person could have been the backyard racist or the racist that is, you know, impeding on a child's mental health. Um, but when, when Halo said she's used to it, that, that just, it took everything out of me. That my child had been suffering and A, I didn't notice it. Mm-hmm. B, she didn't come tell me and see that it actually happened ever for any reason at all. This is a child, you should just be a kid. You should just be happy. And um, when that happened last year, that that was a big thing for me. And I had called her dad, and we talked about it a few times. And her dad was like, well, I'm not surprised. But, of course, as a black man, mm-hmm. he would see it a whole lot sooner, and he wasn't there to see it. So um, that was also a difficult moment for me. When it comes to a point where a child thinks that's a part of normalcy. Mm-hmm. That's the part that sucks because we as adults, we're aware, but mm. kids aren't. Not at all. Um, that's why I have so much, regardless of whatever background, when you're a child, your world, your perspective is limited. Mm-hmm. And your innocence is is very 
is highly preserved and held in high esteem. And as a parent, I can only imagine how much you really want to hold on to that. Oof, yeah. But to be exposed to that at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Funny thing is, um, kids nowadays are being exposed to all of this a lot sooner than we were. A lot sooner, were. yeah. And for a long time, I knew, like just me personally, I knew I was black. Mm-hmm. But when I got older and it was just me and mom in the house, I remember she would have more conversations with me and say, you're able to do this, you're, Not you're able this, to into do this, that. and that, but remember, you are a black man. Mm-hmm. Always remember that. And having that reality when you're basically a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you uh, this, this last question for the, for the sake of time. Um, man, um, in relation to everything that you've experienced just in life in general, um, dealing with the, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, dealing with um, having to raise a biracial child with these challenges, you know, in 2020, um, just dealing with um, your family and your own self-development, uh, what would you say is the glory in your story? I tried to like prepare myself for that question <laughs> and um, I gotta tell you it's not easy um, when you look up glory it's defined as honor or being renowned for um, achievement and uh, I have had other people come to me and say I'm so proud of you you've come so far or, um, thank you for this or that and I guess you could define that as glory, but um, from my personal experience, um, I recently got just uh, another one of very many tattoos I have. It's on the inside of my bicep, and it reads, in spite of. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd say the glory in my personal story and my personal experiences is that I'm still here. Mm. And... Um, I'm still fighting to be happy yeah. in spite of everything that I've experienced and all the negativity and all the hatred and the unacceptance that I've had. Um, I'm still here. And I think that's a big thing when you branch out and you start talking about um, mental health and um, suicide rates and bullying and things like that. I'm still here. Yeah. I was watching a, a video of this man that he's he's been going viral. He teaches self-defense classes primarily for black men mm-hmm. and black boys. Um, this one particular class, you know, when you have to punch through the wood, every time the, hit, the child hit the wood, he would cry. And he was like, why are you crying? And he was like, it's okay, it's okay. Hit the, break the wood. And he would punch it, but the pain was just so painful. And he was like, hold on, hold on. He said, why are you crying? He said, it hurts. Yeah, it's gonna hurt. But the thing is, despite the pain, you have to punch through the board. Yes, it's going to be painful, but you have to punch through with the pain, knowing that the pain is going to exist. And I never thought about that. Um, but when in reference to primarily moms, mm-hmm. like single parents, I've always give immense gratitude because the strength that we see as kids, like Halo's going to remember in the future everything that you've done. And at some point, mom thought, because I was the youngest, I wasn't paying attention to a lot of things that she was doing. But I remember her praying. I remember uh, her doing what she had to do to make sure the bills were paid. Uh, I remember her prioritizing our education. I mean, her being an educator herself. And I, I remember that. But to me, mom was the strongest person I've ever met. And that resilience, you know, that's that's hard to come by. So for hear you, to hear you say... You know, in spite of, like I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, that's that's um, that is, I think, the coolest um, characteristic that anyone could have because that means you're like, I'm not done. I'm, nah, I'm, I got more yet. to do. <laughs> not yet. Not done till you're empty. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but MJ, thank you so much uh, for your time. Um, I, my podcast when I first started it used to be like an hour, hour and a half <laughs> but I said I had to, to shorten it um, I could talk about this all day we didn't even scrape the surface <laughs> yeah uh, but again thank you uh, so much 
for those of you who are listening, uh, you're listening to the latest episode of The Glory in Our Stories with Miss MJ Hall. Yo, thank you for listening. Tune in next time for the latest episode of The Glory in Our Stories. <laughs>